You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I am Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my amazing podcast partner, Lisa Schneer. Say hi, Lisa. Welcome, everyone. Today, we're talking about security compliance. More than ever, risk management is top of mind for clients. Today, we're seeing security assessments being a part of many engagements. And for sales teams, this could mean it could submarine your deal, it could slow it down to a grind, or done right, this could be a differentiator that sets you apart. So to help us out with this really important topic today, we have Susan Walsh, who was the former compliance director at Snowflake and a security compliance advisor to startups with 20 plus years experience in operations, security, compliance, risk management, and even sales. And also, don't hold this against her, she's a longtime friend of Carlos's. (laughs) Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Yes, I know, Susan. Even after all these years, she's still a friend. So I did something right along the way. But you folks don't know Susan. So our usual question to get us started. Susan, what's something that you're passionate about that those that only know you through work or business might be surprised to know about you? It's a tough one because I'm pretty open with my team. They pretty much know everything about me. But... Customers would not necessarily know that I have a problem with dogs. And by a problem, I mean, I can't let a dog go by without saying hi. And it's sometimes genuinely a problem, but most of the time it's just amusing. But yeah, I love dogs. Susan, it's so funny you say that because I actually have a running joke with one of my friends that we actually address people's dogs and we don't address the human. Why bother? Honestly, you're walking down the street. You're like, oh, you're so cute. Look at you there. And then I don't even say hello to the human. I know it's terrible. My son and I go for walks and he's just embarrassed by me. <laughs> but what are you going to do? So, Susan, what kind of dog do you have? I actually want to know because I have a golden doodle and she was around here somewhere. I grew up really allergic to dogs and loved dogs since I was a little kid. And so when I heard of these designer breeds with poodle mixes, I researched it and adopted one and it's worked out great. The breed is amazing. It really is. It's so fun. So how big is your golden doodle? She is 55 pounds. So not too bad. She's kind of a a big dog, but not a really big dog. Yeah, because I have friends who have also rescued golden doodles and didn't know how big they could get. And so then I'm like, you adopted a pony. Yeah, but it's it's not just the size. It's also the maintenance. They have to be groomed or they get matted. They're Velcro dogs, so everything sticks. And then they drop it off in your house, in your bed, wherever they go. So it's a commitment. They're great dogs, but you have to know that you have to groom them regularly and be prepared for that. So, Absolutely. Amazing. So tell us a little bit 
about your story? Like as far as like what led you to being where you are today and some of the things that really affected you, molded you along the way? Yeah, so I... I was never supposed to be in technology. I was going to be like a writer or a rock star or something more creative like that. But when I graduated from college, I had to pay the bills. And uh, I failed college algebra, by the way. And my university introduced this option to take computer science classes in the place of algebra credits. And so I ended up getting an A in computer science. And knowing that, I felt like as I went through the different jobs that I needed to take in order to just make ends meet here in California, this was in the 80s, so it wasn't as expensive as it is now. But I tried to apply my computer science skills to whatever I was doing. I managed a cheese shop. And then I had odd jobs and eventually started working at a software company in customer support, which is an amazing way to get started in technology. It was so much fun for me and my personality because I'm kind of gregarious, kind of like Carlos. And so I was also very curious and interested. And so as my career progressed, my different management teams would figure out better ways to use me. That's just what they do. And I ended up going into IT and then sales. And then I was recruited out of a customer success management position to manage security programs for a security consulting firm. And that's where I started to learn much more about security. And it was fascinating to me because it's such a complex subject. There are so many different parts of security and cybersecurity. It becomes its own real series of careers. And so I eventually applied to Snowflake as a consultant. And They hired me and seriously, within the first week at that company, I knew I wanted to be there permanently, full-time employee. And so they did, much to my surprise, I had a tough boss, tough read, but he hired me and I was there for five years and it was just phenomenal. So I learned so much there and it's really all about being curious and learning on the job, actually. I can only imagine the trends that you've seen over the years, as far as like what has affected, well, like I feel like there's a difference between what's in the news cycle versus what's actually affecting companies. And so I can only imagine there's been a lot of different trends you've seen. Yeah, it's interesting because I do, I was just thinking about this this morning. At a company that I was at in the early 2000s, we were asked to do a SAS 70 audit. and was just the weirdest thing for us to be asked to do. And SAS 70 eventually evolved into these SOC reports. So SOC 2, SOC 3, they're all really security, privacy, confidentiality, and also availability. Those are the tenets of security. And these reports have gotten more and more sophisticated and increasingly prescriptive about the things that you need to implement. 
But also they were edge cases, right? When things were on premise, when you would buy a software package and install it on a server and you had to connect to that server in your office building in order to use the software. And now you connect to the cloud and it's a whole different methodology for security. It's just completely different. Through my career, it's been a lot of change and evolution and it's been fascinating, really. Thanks, Susan. So we live in a world full of buzzwords and assumptions. So I'm going to take a step back and say, hey, can we first address what is security compliance? Yeah, so I think of security compliance as proactive security. It's really doing the things before there's a problem, putting in place the things that you know that you need. For example, making sure there's a lock on your front door. Like you wouldn't not have a lock on your front door. And then in your house, you have different things that you secure differently. If you want to keep things from the kids, you put them in a higher cabinet, right? So it's essentially the same thing with information and information systems. You want to make sure that the most sensitive data that you have is the most protected data. And there are things that you do proactively to make sure that you've got those things in the right place. Medications, for example, you make sure that you keep them out of reach of children. That is just a standard phrase that we have. And so when you talk about security at companies, there are just standard phrases like you get people information on a need-to-know basis. You provide access to data. People can access it only if they need to access it. That's the most sensitive data. Some information is public, right? You want people to know about what value selling does and what the benefits of your of your services. And so you want that out there for people to find easily, but you don't necessarily want your home phone number and all of that information out there publicly available. It's basically the same concept, except that it's very complicated in today's world when we talk about securing cloud systems, for example. So along those lines, why has it become so critical for so many organizations these days, both small and large? Yeah, because it is really debilitating and you can, you can be fined. So the laws that are being put into place now actually have financial ramifications to these breaches. So if you are following all of the regulations and you've been audited and you've got evidence to show that you've done everything within reasonable expectation and you're compliant with all of these regulations and these requirements and you still have a breach, you will be treated differently than if you had neglected alerts, if you had misled the auditors about an environment or a system or a process that you claimed was running but actually didn't exist. And so you can be fined much higher amounts for different types of different ways that you might become breached and how you are. It's just like any business in the financial industry or CEOs today 
if they're found to be violating something, it doesn't have to be a security regulation or requirement. It can be a financial requirement and they're held accountable. It has more teeth now. And it's also terrible for a company's reputation. Everybody's heard of the Target breach and several other breaches that are just household name breaches now. And every time you hear that company name, you're like, hmm, can I trust them? I don't know if I can trust them anymore. And that kind of reputational damage can actually has a financial component too in the form of lost sales. So companies are really paying attention to what's happening as a result of breaches. And that's what's driving them. Might not be, you know, the best way to go about it, but pragmatically, that's at the end of the day. Security becomes a financial decision, right? It's a risk assessment and it's balance between the risk of a breach and how much it would cost the company. And there are different types of costs, as every salesperson knows. And so you just do a calculation and you determine whether or not it's really worth implementing these things versus having a breach and whatever the financial consequences might be of that. So interesting you say that, Susan, because my own experience with actually going through a couple of times at startups, which you advise for, I went through a couple of times where we went through the whole SOC 2 compliance certification like process and hired outside consultants to help us do that so that we could make sure that we did all the steps properly for the things that we knew we needed to highlight. And what you're saying about cost, especially in conjunction with like winning business, how do you actually advise startups who are running on potentially investor money? They've got a runway. They've got to make decisions about their budget. Yet, then if they want to win business from, say, the Microsofts of the world, they have to have that SOC 2 compliant. How do you advise them to proceed with this? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, the first thing that you need to do is you need to classify your data. You need to understand how sensitive is the data that your customers are giving you. And from there, it really helps you figure out how much you need to protect that data. When I'm working with companies, that's the first question I ask them is, what kind of data is your customer giving you? And then we talk about how is that data protected? Who has access? Is it encrypted? All of these other things. If it's publicly available information, then you don't have to have the same protections that you do as you would if it was credit card information, for example. So when I started at Snowflake, they were a startup, but the data that their customers were putting into the system was very sensitive. So their security program had to be very sophisticated. When you look at the customer list for Snowflake, Again, I started when they were a startup, but still they addressed security from the design of the application all the way from the beginning. That's unique, but they had a vision. They knew what kind of data they wanted their customers to be able to put in and feel comfortable putting in. Other companies have less sensitive data and they would go through a less rigorous process. Just they don't need to necessarily encrypt everything at rest. It needs to be encrypted in transit. Okay, I'm getting probably too technical. 
But going back to the decision-making, at the end of the day, security, as I just said, it is a balance between you cannot implement security to the point where you you choke off the business. Otherwise, there's no point in having security or having the business. It has to be a balance. It's a carefully choreographed dance between sales and security. And at Snowflake, part of my job really was because of my customer satisfaction, my customer service experience, my success and and revenue experience, I knew that Snowflake couldn't be successful if customers weren't happy, right? It's a recurring revenue model and customers can go to another company. Amazon had something very similar. It would be so easy to just move their data to Amazon. So we needed to make sure we met their requirements from a business perspective as much as from just a black and white security perspective. So we needed to run the business and we needed to secure their data. And the SOC 2 report, as we went through it with the auditors, there were certain things that the auditors asked us to do that it turns out we did differently. And this is what's really important. You work with the business in a security role. You're interfacing all the time with different organizations in the company and also outside of the company, customers, auditors. So you've got to have a person in that role who can speak the language of the auditor and speak the language of the company and the technology and the technical, the operations, you know, the cloud operations team, the DevOps team at your company to explain to the auditor, I know you say it has to have this. We have to change the password every X number of days. But the fact of the matter is we have multi-factor authentication in addition to VPN with multi-factor authentication in order to access this information. Therefore, we more than address the intent of that requirement that you're asking us to meet. So although we don't change this other password, this more static password, as often as you're requiring us, we actually change the password every 30 seconds or whatever the MFA change rate is. So it's important to have, if you're working with a consultant, to have them be technical enough to understand the nuances of the ways, the different ways that you can implement different functionality. Probably got too technical there, but I think it's important for people to understand that just because there's a requirement doesn't mean that there's one way to meet that requirement. See, Susan, you're still in sales. And if you think about it, you're trying to persuade someone to your way or the company's way of doing things versus what they're just asking for, because it may not be the right expectation. So I think you're doing, you know, I think that's great. Yeah. And it's not necessarily persuade, it's educate, you know, it's educate them on how this can be done differently and, and more effectively, actually. So at Snowflake, I know you all dealt with some really high profile clients and their sensitive data, which I assume came with some high level requirements. What do you recommend when dealing with, you know, that higher level of clientele? It's a great question too. You guys, you know, you're 
Well, I'm not your audience, but whatever I am. You know, it's really important to understand the requirements early in the sales process. It's not like they're going to go away. Just, you know, ignoring them isn't going to make them a non-issue. You can sell, you can have the perfect product, but there are different kinds of cultures in these. It's a very different world when you're selling into a financial or pharmaceutical company or a health insurance company. First of all, they have their own regulations that they need to adhere to. And you are an extension of those regulations. And so when they come at you with these requirements, it's not because they're their requirements. It's because they're their customers' requirements and they're the government's requirements. And so you don't have a choice in many cases. And in interacting with these bigger companies, I loved it because these people understood the technology and what I was just talking about, the different ways that you can actually meet the same requirement. So it was always gratifying. 90% of the time when I would tell the security story, it's no, you know, the snowflake security story, it was very gratifying to me to have it resonate for them and, and to have them say, oh, this is great. This is exactly what we need. But there was always 10% of, but here's where we need you to do something different. And I'd be like, okay, I understand why you need that. Let me go back and see how we can meet that requirement. And sometimes we wouldn't be able to meet it or we wouldn't be able to meet it right away. Like we wouldn't be able to meet it in time to close the deal. And then it became a whole different kind of negotiation for the salesperson where they would say, okay, you have all these different use cases. Do you need this feature for every use case or just for some use cases? And they would say, oh, actually, we only need it for one use case. All these other use cases, we can start using your system now without any changes to your environment. And so that would be golden. And that is critical to understand. I'm going to reiterate what I just said, which is salespeople, when you have a large customer that has tradition, they have to, you know, adhere to their own regulations, to the government's requirements or to GDPR, some of these other things, you need to grab their security team, get their vendor policy security policy. Every company has their security addendum. Get that early. Send it to your security people. Make sure that your security people understand what those requirements are and are there any gaps? Are there any concerns? Because that vendor, sorry, that customer is going to do a security assessment on your company. So we would have I don't even remember which customers are publicly known. So I'm not going to mention any Snowflake Capital One. I love Capital One so much. They, I have so much I could say about them because they really, they were such a great security team to work with. They understood what we were trying to get done and they helped us mature our security organization in the early days. They were one of our earliest financial customers. And so, and I still say our, still snowflake. I still have all my snowflake stuff. Okay. Sorry. I digress. So, um, but the key is always to get that information 
to your security team up front so that they can have that conversation with the customer, the prospect security team, and resolve that before it becomes a critical, you know, deal stopper at the 11th hour. So it's amazing that you phrased it that way, Susan, because I had three questions that you kind of already touched on all three. So I'm going to combine them. When you think about it in terms of what are some of the things that could be roadblockers in the sales process, do you think we should be asking these questions about compliance and security much earlier as part of like a discovery process? Actually, it's a great idea. The discovery, it will give you a lot of information about the security team at your prospect organization. It will help you understand how powerful is that security team because some security teams have more teeth than others. And if you're working with a company where the security team has a lot of control over what deals get approved, you definitely need to know that early so that you can figure out how to work closely with them. Because it could be an actual disqualifier, right? Because you, you mentioned the government and then I was talking about Microsoft, like and why, in my experience, we had to go through the whole certification. If we were going to sell to, as a startups, especially sell to enterprise level companies worldwide, we had to consider this. I imagine that it could be something that you actually disqualify based on their... Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I blocked it out. But the reality (laughs) is that there were companies that we could not sell into because we did not have that compliance program implemented at Snowflake. And one of them was GXP. We resisted GXP for a long time and, and the salespeople were getting really frustrated, but it was a very expensive set of requirements to implement at Snowflake. And it kind of came into the organization. Our Snowflake sales organization, I just can't say enough great things about it. They just boggles my mind. Even being there watching it happen and watching the organization evolve, just still I'm amazed at what they've been able to accomplish. The product is phenomenal too. I don't mean to discount anybody in that process. Marketing is amazing too. But the relationships that our sales teams would develop with customers, even customers that said no, they would just stay in touch with them. And we would continue, my team, I would continue to discuss with the salespeople, what is the deal size? What is the opportunity? What can you really commit to? I need to know for sure that I'm not wasting money on implementing a program that's very expensive and we're not going to see the return on that investment. The company became very sensitive to those types of security projects. It's not an unlimited budget. No company. Snowflake had an almost unlimited budget, but it wasn't unlimited. And the reality is that you can only incorporate so many things at a time or you're just going to break it. So break it, meaning, you know, break the processes that work so well, too much stress on the the existing people that you have. So we had to take our time before we implemented GXP and we bid it off in chunks and phases. And we eventually won the business of amazing 
pharmaceutical companies and also companies that serviced pharmaceutical companies. And that was really how we first got in. And so it is a disqualifier. It is absolutely a disqualifier. But also at Snowflake, security was a differentiator. It had a positive impact on separating Snowflake from the pack because of the way that Snowflake designed the product from the beginning and the implementation of the security controls. It's important to understand at your own company, if you're, if you're selling, you need to understand security can be a differentiator for you, can also be a differentiator for your competitor. It's important to know if it is, because then you've got to go back to your security team and figure out how do you bring that up. Okay, so I, I went off on a little tangent there, but I also think that that's really important because I did always try to present security as a differentiator in the areas that we were. GXP wasn't one of them for a long time, and now it is. It is absolutely a differentiator for Snowflake. Yeah. No, I think you touched on a couple of really important points because Carlos and I, in our in our work with value selling, we talk a lot about differentiators and risk mitigation is one of the five buckets that we talk about very often. I just want to kind of tie a bow around this because Susan, you you touched on so many great points, but here in your advisory role to startups, if they come to you and they say, for example, I only want to sell to the enterprise or I only want to sell to finance or I only want to sell to healthcare. And you know that that means compliance has to be like one of the number one things. At what size or state do you recommend that they make this investment? Is it early? Is it is it day one? Or like thinking about in terms of there's not as many dollars that were available to us before. This is the the economic climate. At what stage do you recommend hey, if you want to target these industries or these size companies, go through this process, spend the money? It's a tough question. There are always things that you should be doing today. Just end of story, regardless of whether or not you go off and get these certifications. You can put off getting, you can still sell to Microsoft without these certifications, depending on the rigor that you go through and your procedures and your product design, there are so many ways that you can stave off the cost of actually having an auditor come in, right? So there's no easy answer. At some point, as you grow, you're going to have to get that audit. You're going to have to get the report that you can give into the hands of the customers. Some customers absolutely have a black and white. If you don't check this box, you're you're not in it. And you're going to start coming across more and more customers like that. But in the beginning, if you're a small startup and you're just starting out, you can definitely win deals without having that report. You just have to know what companies to go for. But it's important to implement all of those requirements, regardless of whether you're going to go through the report. And that's really the big money. That's the recurring cost is having these procedures in place that you audit, that you go through on a regular basis so that you can pass the audit. And not just the auditor audit, but the customer audit, because every big company now has to do a third-party vendor assessment. And I could go off on a tangent, but I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to skip that one. But, you know, the target breach, poor target, so high profile, but that particular breach really made security breaches a household concept where people started to understand that. 
And it also scared a lot of companies because they finally understood how a third party could somehow get breached and still access such sensitive data at such a big company. These third party assessments have become much, much more important. And if you're selling into an enterprise, you're going to go through a third party assessment no matter what. You need to be prepared for it. You need to implement it early at the product design if you can. If you can't, it's too late. Then you need to start looking at every aspect of it now, really, before it's too late. Thanks, Susan. You know, as you were talking, I kind of think about compliance teams a little bit like finance and legal teams, right? They're part of the necessary steps that you need to go through. So like Lisa, to your point, you got to plan for that early on in your sales cycle. Now, the other side of it, though, is I also thought, hey, it isn't like we went through this thing and we're done and we get that initial order. So Susan, how do organizations or how do you recommend organizations work with a compliance team as the volume of data grows, the number of areas or regions that, you know, come online grows, which also elevates the amount of regulatory compliance. How does the compliance team stay up with that existing customer as they expand? Right. It's a great question. And it all depends on how your sales organization is is organized. For upsell, cross-sell, you will encounter different types of data that your customer is going to start putting in. Possibly, maybe not. Maybe it's all the same data. But a lot of big and decent sized software companies or any even a small software company that's selling into a big company is going to find that the different use cases involve different types of data And I'll go back to the beginning of our conversation when I talked about data classification. As a company, you're selling your company's product. Your company needs to be classifying data according to its sensitivity, according to the cost, right? If that data were to be compromised, how much would it cost your company? As you go through that process, you have to understand that your customers are going through the exact same process. And therefore, when they bring on a new use case, it might be a different classification of data and they may have different requirements and it's going to be another sales order, right? So you're going to have another contract that needs to get signed and there could be a completely separate set of security requirements. Again, super important to get that information to your security team and your legal team early. Depending on how your, your security team is organized though, It could report into the legal team, in which case the legal team kind of handles that. At Snowflake, we reported into most recently the CIO, but prior to that, it was the CEO and we had an equal footing with every organization, right? So it's just important to understand how that process works within your company so that you can partner with the security team a good security team is going to be really interested in hearing what their customers are going to be expecting of them so that they can meet those requirements and not be the the people who say, no, we can't do that. You can't close that deal, right? So nobody wants to be that person. So Susan, I'm going to pivot our conversation a little bit because I remember as you were studying security and making a career pivot, and I just got one question for you. as People are maybe thinking about security as a career. What do you recommend? Uh, Do you even recommend it as a career? 
Yes. It's everything. It's customer service. It's math. It's interpersonal skills. It's technology. It's whatever you want it to be. There are so many different layers to security. There are so many different ways it gets implemented. And and there are so many different roles within a company. I'm so lucky to have had the really bizarre background that I've had because I think that it helped me figure out how to communicate. I have a degree in French, by the way. How I got it, technology and security specifically is baffling, but it was really just a lot of curiosity. So the key is really to stay curious about the things that you love, figure out what it is that really resonates for you and pursue that. There's something for everyone in security. If you're curious about it, there is a role for you. Amazing. Je ne comprends pas. <laughs> Worry, I didn't Je ne comprends pas. Je ne comprends pas. It's just like, I don't understand. Oh, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, being Canadian, I I took French. Like, it's our second language in our country. So yeah. uh, I took French for years, but I, I am not very good at it. So <laughs> I think it's amazing that you have a uh, another mastery there, which is fantastic. And I love your answer. But we need to change a little bit of direction here because we could talk to you all day long and we'd love to do so. But we'd love to talk to you a little bit about how being an, an executive consultant, whatever you are at Target for audience in the way that they might want to sell to you. So in your opinion, what stands out when receiving, say, a completely cold reach out, no warm introduction, no connection? What is something that someone could do that would stand out to you that might actually get you to respond? So I need to know, how are you going to help me? I'm so busy. I really don't even have time to assess another product, right? This happened all the time. I would have people reach out, hey, I hope this email finds you well. No, I'm just really haggard right now. I have so much going on, delete. If you come at me and you say, hey, I've worked with other companies, just like what you're, you know, similar to what you're doing, we were able to help them reduce their audit times or the level of effort required for this or that. If you can succinctly, concisely tell me how you're going to help me do my job better or faster or more cost-effectively, more efficiently, then I'm going to listen to you. But if you if you can't tell me that in the first three sentences, and they got to be short sentences, of your message to me, then I'm just not going to pay attention to you. I've got so much going on. There's so many people reaching out to me. I need to know why I should pay attention to you. I need to know immediately. Perfect, Susan. All right. Our last question of the day, we call our like acceleration insights. Hey, what might be that one piece of advice, be it business, be it personal, that you would like to share with our listeners that helps them be successful and hit their goals? Be curious. Always have some kind of curiosity. And if you're in a time-constrained interaction, make sure, especially a business meeting, go into it knowing what you want to get out of it and make sure you get out of it 
what you expected or wanted. That's not easy. And so there are going to be different gradations of that. But you've got to at least try to get out of it. If you go into it not knowing what you want, that's going to be clear and you're going to go away with nothing. So go into it knowing what you want. Be curious, be genuinely curious and have fun. That's perfect, Susan. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great having you on the show. It's really fun. Lisa and I really appreciate it. All right, everyone, that does it for our episode. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec or revexec.com. Share the episode with your family, your friends, your dog, your cat. You can see it through YouTube, Spotify. And look, and if you listen to it over iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. I'm Carlos Noche. Thank you so much with my co-host, Lisa Snare. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the best success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.